text for this morning's service is taken from John 1, the verses 1 through 15. Let's read that together. Sometimes after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him. For he had already, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. <clears throat> so they gathered them and filled twelve baskets, with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. After the sermon, we will sing together from Psalm 146 to stanzas 1, 2, and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, the text of today deals with the well-known story about the feeding of the 5,000. The story takes place a year before the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he is already quite well known at this time, for his public ministry had started two years earlier. At this particular point, the Lord Jesus had just come from Judea, where, as we just read, he was rejected by his fellow Jews. And now he is on the way to Galilee. In that area, he had already performed many signs and miracles. He is still very popular there. That shows from the, cloud, from the crowds that follow him. But why exactly is he so popular? Why do the crowds follow him? The text says that they followed him because they saw all the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. You can well imagine that that made him very attractive. Just look at today. The popularity of the government of today is determined 
by the kind of health care it is willing to provide for the sick. People are quite concerned about their health care. For without good health, you do not have the enjoyment of life. Life is not very pleasant when you are restricted in your movements or when you have to suffer pain all the time. And so you want relief, and you don't want to wait for it. Furthermore, no one enjoys the prospect of death. Man wants to live. And anybody who can deliver the goods concerning the best health care available is a popular man. That's also the way it was during biblical times. And now here comes a man such as Jesus who heals the sick, the lame, and the crippled. He even raises people from the dead. It is no wonder that the crowds follow him. And yet, also in the end, the people at Galilee reject this great healer. Why? Why do they turn away from him in the end? They even kill him. They nail him to a cross. They are that angry with him. What is the problem? Well, the problem is that the people were focused on the present only. And they were focused on what mattered to them now, their health, their daily bread. They focused only on their immediate needs. They focused on what they could receive and not on what they should give. Man, by nature, is a selfish creature. But now we see that in this passage, the Lord Jesus wants to teach man not to be so focused on himself. He wants to teach them not to be focused on earthly things, but especially on heavenly things. And the latter, of course, is much more important. And that leads me to a question I want to ask you, and I want you to keep that question in mind as you listen to the sermon this morning. Ask yourself this. Would I, if I had lived during those days in Judea or Galilee, would I have rejected the Lord Jesus? Am I too focused on the here and now? Am I too focused on my health, on my daily bread, forgetting what is most important, namely the heavenly bread? Am I seeking the right kinds of things in my life? The text of this morning, brothers and sisters, are to spur us on to self-examination. For self-examination is not something you do just before the Lord's Supper. No, that is what you are supposed to do every day of the week, and especially also on Sundays. And that is what you must do every time you are confronted with God's Word. For God wants to speak to you. And so we have to do that as well today. We have to listen to him. And so listen to God's word as I've summarized it on the following theme. The Lord Jesus tests the faith of his disciples in the feeding of the 5,000. We will see three things. First of all, the need perceived. Secondly, the need supplied. And then finally, the greatest need rejected. The Lord Jesus had just come from Judea. We know from the other gospel accounts, which also give us the story about the feeding of the 5,000, that he had just found out about the horrible death of John the Baptist, who had been beheaded by Herod. And so this was a time for reflection. It was also a time for rest and relaxation. 
for he and his disciples had just returned from a missionary tour. They needed to spend some time together. However, that was not to be. The crowds saw him coming. Even though they crossed the lake by boat, the crowds nevertheless followed by going around the lake on foot to meet him on the other side. They were very eager to have their various ailments taken care of. Now the Lord Jesus was a compassionate man, and he stood, he understood their need for healing. He saw how they craved to be made whole. He himself had taken on human flesh, and he knew how weak the human flesh is and how prone the body is to disease and pain. Jesus understood the frailty of human existence better than anyone else. And that is why he did heal the sick and raise the dead. But that was not the purpose for him coming to earth. For all those whom he healed and even those whom he raised from the dead would eventually get sick again and die. In this life, disease and death is inevitable. And therefore, he had to teach them the real reason why he came. He came to heal those who wanted permanent healing. How now does he go about convincing his disciples and all others who want to hear? Well, first of all, he takes care of their present needs. As a matter of fact, the Lord Jesus was concerned about the well-being of the people before they themselves were. For when he saw the great crowd coming toward him, he asks Philip about where they would buy bread for all those people. When he asks this question, it is still early in the day. The people are not yet hungry. We know from the other gospel accounts that the feeding of the 5,000 did not take place until the evening. But from those accounts, it would appear that the disciples took the initiative. However, here in John's account, we see that that is not the case. The Lord Jesus is the first one to realize their need. That's because he understood the short-sightedness of man. They had their minds and their hearts set on one thing only. They wanted to be healed. They wanted to see and experience miracles. The people were so focused on physical healing that most of them did not give a thought about food until they started to get hungry. Most of them will not even have minded to go without just so that they could be healed. Don't we do the same thing ourselves? In order to have an operation, sometimes you have to fast for 24 hours. We will put up with the discomfort, knowing that it is necessary, and knowing that after the operation, we will be on the road to recovery. However, the Lord Jesus does not want them to suffer any more than is necessary. They do not need to fast. They need to be taught a lesson about true life. And so he asks Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now why would he ask Philip in particular? Why not one of the others? It could be because Philip just happened to be nearest by. However, we should also consider that as we know from John 1 verse 44, that Philip was from the nearby town of Bethsaida. It was a fishing town. As a matter of fact, the name Bethsaida means house of fish. 
If anyone would know where to get food and how much it would cost, it would be him. Philip had grown up there, and it would be easy for him to know where to get it and who would charge what and how much money they would need in order to buy enough food for that enormous crowd. For the text tells us that there were 5,000 men. Note well that it speaks about men. There will have been women and children present as well. So the crowd would have been much larger than 5,000. It was an enormous crowd. It would be a crowd twice the size of the whole population of the town of Devon. And that's a lot of people to feed. And now the Lord Jesus asks Philip that question. There could also have been another reason for the Lord Jesus to ask Philip, for also Andrew and Peter came from that same town. They could have supplied him with the same information. But what did the Lord Jesus want Philip to do? Well, he wanted Philip to think about the answer. That's what the text tells us. We are told that the Lord Jesus wants to test him. But he did not just want to test Philip alone. No, also the rest of the disciples had to be tested. No doubt during the time there on the side of the mountain, during the morning in the late afternoon and into the late afternoon, Philip will also have posed a question to the other disciples. Where are we going to get enough food for all these people? What are we going to do? And so the Lord Jesus planted the seed. He now had all of them thinking about and be prepared to deal with the needs of the crowds and of their own needs. And Philip thinks about it and they all come to the conclusion, as we know from Mark 6, verse 37, that it would cost, as the RSV says, 200 denarii. One denarius, as is clear from Matthew 20, verse 2, is one day's wages. For that reason, the NIV states that it would cost eight months' wages. So anywhere from twenty to $50,000 in today's currency. That's a lot of money. And the food that that money would supply would not even still the hunger of that crowd. They would need a lot more if everyone was to be totally satisfied. And that is the calculation that they came to. By having Philip and the other disciples make their calculations in this way, the Lord Jesus sets the scene for what happens. Once again, we see that he is a master at this, a master at bringing them to a certain conclusion, slowly but surely. As such, the act of calculating the physical needs of others and yourself, of course, is not wrong. We do that all the time. We have to. That's why we work. We have to work for our daily bread. A man has to put bread on the table. And a mother has to prepare meals for the family. And if she knows that a large crowd is coming to the house, she will make all kinds of calculations and provisions to supply the needs of those in her charge. For we need to do that. If he did not, we would be irresponsible. Why then did Philip and the rest of the disciples need to be tested? Well, the Lord Jesus had to teach them how to calculate. They had to calculate not just loaves of bread, but heavenly bread. They had to calculate in faith. They had to realize with whom they were dealing, namely with the Messiah, who is the Son of God and who gives the bread of life. 
Philip and the disciples still had a lot to learn. And it is a lesson that they had to learn throughout their whole lives. It is a lesson that we have to learn throughout our whole lives as well. When Philip first encountered the Lord Jesus, he was very excited. That's clear from what he said in John 1, verse 45. He said there, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. At that moment, Philip confessed Jesus to be a prophet. But he still had to learn that he also had to put his trust in that prophet, seeing that he was a prophet from God himself. Well, he did to a certain extent, for that is what we read in chapter 2 of the Gospel of John. There we read about the Lord Jesus changing the water into wine at Cana. That was the first miracle that he performed. Philip and the other disciples were there as well. And they had seen with their own eyes what the Lord Jesus was capable of. He changed the water into wine. He provided for the guests at the wedding. And there, for the first time, they saw his power and majesty and glory. With that mir- when that miracle happened, they will have been reminded, for they knew their scriptures, of the great prophet Elisha, who, as we know from 2 Kings 4, verse 42 and following, at one time took 20 loaves of barley bread and nevertheless had enough for a hundred men, even having some left over in the end. That was a miracle. And so we read at the end of that passage, dealing with the water changing into wine in verse 11, that the disciples of the Lord Jesus put their faith in him, it says there. They believed. They knew him as the great prophet coming from God. The problem with faith, however, with human faith, is that we are inconsistent in the way we exercise it. At one time we put our trust in the Lord, and at other times we don't. We see that throughout the history of God's people. Think about Peter when he nearly drowned, trying to walk on the water just as the Lord Jesus had done. At one point he believed, and he walked. The next thing you know, he was in the water. And then the Lord Jesus rebukes him and says to him, You man of little faith. In a parallel passage he says, You have no faith. At that moment, Peter didn't have faith. He forgot the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he faltered. Consequently, he almost died. Isn't that the way it is with us as well? There are moments in our lives when we really feel close to God and we put our trust in Him. Moments when we are not anxious about what tomorrow will bring. We have seen His almighty hand in creation and how He provides for each and every one and we trust in Him and we feel safe. But it's not always like that, is it? There are also times in our lives when we are anxious. Anxious about our daily bread. We calculate, we fret, we plan, we worry. And we do all kinds of things trying to think of a solution for our present predicament. And we forget about the Lord. Or we put him on the back burner. We do not put our trust in God. Rather than finding the answer in God's word, we try to figure things out for ourselves. That's what we are like. 
we tend to focus on the here and now. But the Lord Jesus wants you and me to have a greater vision. He wants us to realize what a great and powerful and magnificent provider he is. It's the second point. By the time the evening comes around, no decision has been made as to how these people would be fed. The solution of the disciples is to have the Lord Jesus tell the multitude to go away. From Matthew 14, verse 16, we know that the Lord Jesus says that they do not have to leave. Instead, he tells the disciples to give them something to eat. They do not yet realize what he has in mind at this point. Therefore, as Luke 9, verse 12 makes clear, they ask him whether still at this late hour he wants them to go and scour the country to buy food that they need. And at that point, the Lord Jesus tells them to go through the crowds to see how many loaves of bread there are. And now another detail is added which only the Gospel John provides. We are told that Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, says to him, Here's a boy with five, lo- with five small barley loaves and two small fish. He adds, quite understandably, But how far will they go among so many? That's the moment the Lord Jesus was waiting for. He was prepared... To- He has prepared them for this moment so that he could teach them an important lesson. He tells them, he tells the disciples to have the people sit down. Apparently there was enough grass in that place. We know from Mark 6 verse 40 that the disciples had them sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties. All are seated in orderly fashion with lanes between the groups to enable proper serving. The miracle of the multiplication of the bread is then told in the simplest of terms. The actions of the Lord Jesus tell the whole story. No embellishment is necessary. We read, then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. That's it. Let's take a look at the details that are given. They're important. First of all, the Lord Jesus gives thanks. He acknowledges that God, the Father in heaven, is the one who provides for his people. The Lord Jesus, here and elsewhere, teaches us to pray for our meals. He teaches us that the bread which we have on our table does not depend, first of all, on our ability to provide, but on God's ability to provide. Our prayers can become routine. They can become empty words. At mealtimes we repeat the same phrases time and again. Every time, however, we receive food, we have to acknowledge God as the provider, and not just with our lips, but with our whole heart, in the full realization that He is the one who gives everything to us. We also have to believe that He does take care of us. And we must trust in Him. And then, if that is the attitude we have, then our lips will also utter what's in our hearts. Brothers and sisters, it is a great miracle to receive each time food from the Lord God. What we have on our table every day is not less any miracle than what happened there on the shores of Galilee. 
on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. We read that after the prayer, the Lord Jesus distributed to all those who were seated as much as they wanted. The Lord Jesus then says, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. We read then that there was so much left over that they had 12 baskets full of leftovers. We see here that the Lord Jesus hates waste. We live in a throwaway society. We do not sufficiently appreciate the things we daily receive from our Heavenly Father, including the food we eat. If we did, we would not be as wasteful as we are. We take it all for granted. God, however, is the one who provides. Bread on the table is a gift from heaven. It is his gift. And in our actions, we have to acknowledge and also believe that. God wants us to be good stewards of all that he gives us. He wants us to fully realize that it is only because of his great love and care that he does provide. It's true also unbelievers receive, but they receive to their condemnation. God provides to all men so that they will come to him and acknowledge him as the giver of life. If they don't, they stand condemned before him. But that's not all that the Lord Jesus wants to teach his disciples. As we know from the rest of the chapter, the Lord Jesus wants them to know that he is the bread of life. That is the main message. That is something they did not yet understand. In the end, most of his followers reject him. That brings us to the third point. The majority of the people and the disciples there wanted only their current needs to be met. They wanted to receive what they needed for the moment. Their hunger for healing and bread was greater than their hunger for spiritual healing and spiritual bread. They had an earthly vision. And that's human nature. Man is short-sighted. That's also clear from what we see at the end of this passage. They acknowledge him as the prophet who has come into the world, but their intention was to make him an earthly king. They did not understand his mission, and in the end, except for a few, they all walked away from him. What are the people looking for in their leaders? They look for that man or woman whom they think can provide them with their own personal needs. When we have an election in this country, we see the great selfishness of the populace. They will elect the one who, according to them, can deliver the most goods for them personally. And sometimes a popular politician will come along who is exalted by the people. Then after a while they realize that their leader could not deliver on what he promised at all. And then they turn against him. And so the Lord Jesus wasn't interested in the opinions of the people. He knew how fickle public opinion is. He knew what they were after. And it was his mission to guide them to a higher vision. He wanted to guide them to a heavenly vision. Let me now go back to what I said at the beginning of the sermon. At that time I asked you whether or not you would be any different from those people at that particular time. Did you struggle with that question? How is it in your life right now? Do you see your most important needs? How hungry are you for eternal bread? 
Do you see how much you need the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you see your sins? Do you know what a wretched creature you are? You see, that's the problem with the majority of that crowd. They were looking for easy solutions to their problems. They did not want to examine themselves to see how they got themselves into their current predicament in the first place. They did not want to admit that their illnesses and diseases were due to their own sins. They did not want to look at the core problem of it all. And isn't that our problem as well at times? Would you or I have walked away from the Lord Jesus also if we had lived in those days? Think about it, brothers and sisters. Are you too focused right now on earthly things? Do you have a hard time perhaps listening to the sermon? Perhaps because you have all kinds of other things going through your head? What are you focused on in your life right now? Are you exclusively focused on your health? Are you anxious about it? What about the bread on your table? Are you so anxious about that that everything else becomes secondary? What do you think of the Lord Jesus? Do you see him as the miracle worker for the moment? Or do you see him as the great healer and provider, not only for this life, but for eternal life? And does that show in the way that you conduct yourself? Or is your life nothing but going from the one need to the next? As long as your immediate need is met, well, then you're satisfied. Well, the Lord Jesus came to earth to teach you and me differently. He came to teach us that life, true life, eternal life, is to be found with him alone. That is why we are on this earth, brothers and sisters. It is a life that he gives us that knows no want. It is a life that knows no pain. But you have to trust in him. You have to trust in him now. In the life hereafter, we do not need daily bread. For in the life hereafter, we do not have to worry about our health either. For then God is our eternal bread. But even though you still need your daily bread and drink today, he is your eternal bread right now as well. And that is much more important. For all the other things, they pass away. Brothers and sisters, that's the vision that the Lord Jesus wants you and me to have. Is that also your vision? Amen.